welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Feeling jazzy. Oh, Jazzy. Why is that? Uh, well, let me tell you about TweakedArdio.com. Okay. TweakedArdio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Case in point, today I was using my TweakedArdio.com earbuds to listen to uh, Stereogum.com's playlist of uh, the best jazz albums of 2021, oh. which is, uh, I always try to kind of keep up with jazz just to like know what's going on and it's 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 fun jazz is one of those uh i i really enjoy jazz but i never really seek it out jazz is always like an incidental music for me like i'll turn it on and it's just like oh they make new jazz yeah i had no idea they, they like there is really good new jazz that like i know look I'm not. I'm not Seb. I know Seb from La La Land was setting out to save jazz, but he was such a traditionalist, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, uh, that's what John Legend said. Like, yeah. are you going to be the future of jazz if you're such a traditionalist? Um, luckily, the stereo gum list is not. I mean, there's some trad jazz on there, but there's a lot of uh, uh, newer, interesting stuff. Sons of Kemet, uh, Floating Points, Pharaoh Sanders, and the L- London Symphony Orchestra. These are two of the more interesting sort of out there albums that were on the list uh sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension tyler yes now before we oh we're not going to get into it okay because two things i want to say thank you to mariah for oh absolutely a great christmas episode lots of week. fun it was a lot of fun and then also before we get into it you had something yes that you uh, get my, as as a as a way of introducing our guest yes absolutely and actually uh i might i might be thinking of someone else in fact i think i i i am but for whatever reason is our is our guest a fan of jazz or actively not a fan of jazz? I don't remember. Only he can answer. Our guest is Josh Long. Josh, jazz, yes or no? Oh, yeah, yes or no? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's it. Okay, yes, I guess. Okay. Now I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not a super fan, and I know very little of like modern jazz. I've 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 dipped my toes more recently into like old old jazz, like like you know. Uh, uh, Benny Goodman sure, stuff sure. and that like uh, yeah I think I know that more than I know I, I couldn't tell you a new yeah well, artist, this, this is what uh, yeah. look stereo gum and sources like that are great for sound yeah. like you know more than you do <laughs> sure <laughs> that's what it's I, perfect that's what I use it for but yeah uh, the for whatever reason I think it was just someone in in our group in our circle of friends Josh like and for some reason I thought it was you but like someone said that they just really have tried they've tried jazz but they just can't get into it and for some reason i thought it was you but i also wasn't 100 percent sure obviously um but yeah josh long is our guest josh how you doing doing all right it's christmas now, time it is and i know you love christmas time you like christmas and josh hey, this was not I love christmas time too what yeah, I do. That's true. You do. Which uh, <laughs> love the shock. Follow me. They're like, yeah, yeah. We already t- we, that's old news. We already know. Well, you talked about Christmas. Well, that, well, that was that. Yes, that was on a Patreon. Oh, that's true. That, yes. But that is available now. Yes. So if you want to hear uh, me talk about my history of how of, of changing feelings toward the yeah. Christmas season, sign up for Patreon. Patreon.com slash Battleship Attention. Give it to someone as a gift. Christmas is sure right now. 
they will be very confused by that gift <laughs> unless it's like another listener who just feels like they yeah. can't afford it. Yeah. Um, but uh, they'll admit it. If they, if they can't afford our Patreon, like they've got... <laughs> You should buy them other things, I would say. Um, but, shoes. Uh, shoes, health insurance, whatever. Um, this was actually not what I wanted to mention, but I, it, you do love Christmas, and you may have noticed as you walked up today that I have Christmas lights on the outside of my house for the first time in my entire I didn't life. see them. Maybe they weren't on yet. Oh, uh, are they on? Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't notice them before. You just, you're so... Into Christmas, it's just, just it's everything. The Christmas now. lights now. You only notice when a when a house doesn't have them. That's right. Um, but <laughs> so uh, so well, here's because you guys are both homeowners, which Natalie and I are not. And Natalie gets like I can see her get actually angry when we pass like a house house that's not doesn't have <laughs> Halloween or Christmas decorations. She's it's like, like, you could and you what? didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's you know, and that's the thing is is I've always something's got to give like for example i only have so much time right now we have a nice new fresh christmas tree that is totally undecorated we've had it for days <laughs> all right but hey the I, house I is decorated. Two decorations on it uh, two, that's uh, true ornaments. we did put two ornaments on it uh that say <laughs> dashel and jasper now, so who were they <laughs> I'm still figuring it okay. out. Uh, all I know is that we seem to have one less house in the uh, one less room in the house. Damn. Um, so uh, okay, so he, I did have something to talk about at the top, and this is just this is something that I occasionally have to do because it bothers me so much. David, I feel like you're going to be on board. Oh, Josh, okay. I think you'll be on board, but for, but from a different angle because it's political. Okay. Um, okay. I'm every once in a while I stumble upon I don't go looking I certainly don't go looking but I will stumble upon like a conservative commentator talking about movies okay and talking about like why this movie f- failed or whatever and because I'm a moron I will click on it and I'll be like mm. what is the, what's this guy's take mm. I've I don't think I've ever agreed with a single word even <laughs> words that like are neutral like the like i don't like anything that they have to say and so and there's one guy i won't even i won't even say you know what yeah what the hell his name's john nolte i hate him um <laughs> and he he he's written for various outlets i think now he's at breitbart not that i'm in the habit of going to breitbart but somebody else posted it to start a conversation about why did west side story do so poorly um financially and it's like it's a conversation that a lot of people are having right now and okay right because because that i mean that i mean like even critics who who really like the movie said that like the film or i don't know so much wondering but there are there are a handful of like think pieces about why the film didn't do well with older or younger crowds i'm just too much of a i'm such a snob that i don't even I don't even know what, what how movies do at the box office. Yeah, I, I <laughs> which is that I should like it. It does have how movies fare. Yeah, does have an effect on what movies I will see down the line. Will be able to see or will get made. Yeah, but I've just never been able to bring myself to to look at that sort of thing. I'm when I do look, I'm vaguely curious, but it it never. If a film flops, whether I was interested in it or not, like that is to me neutral. Like plenty of amazing movies have not done well at the box office when they're first released. So I don't really care that much. But of course, conservative commentators often care because provided they are not movie people. And there are plenty of movie people out there that are politically right leaning. There are two of them in this room. Um, 
David, I've got bad news for you. <laughs> I've been looking at your Twitter, and I've, I think you're headed in a, in a certain down a certain path. Um, but uh, but yeah, there there is like this preference, uh, not preference, but there's this this emphasis on like box office because that's the market talking and that sort of thing. And so, uh, well, hey, uh, West Side Story didn't do well, and uh, it's a film that Nolte, without seeing it, of course. Uh, <clears throat> was just like hypothesizing about like oh well it's very woke it's very this or that and he goes and he commented on I'm trying to figure out yeah what about it is woke I don't know okay from uh, I have heard other people said talking about this in a positive way um, in that it casts that it's all uh, oh, you know, sure. all the Puerto Rican characters are Puerto Rican actors or at least yeah. Latino <laughs> actors yeah there's and, a <laughs> this made its way around uh, Twitter because it was like t- taken out of context it's like, it's like Steven Spielberg just being ridiculous mm. But it's, he said there's a quote that Steven Silver said, every shark, boy or girl, must come from a Latinx community. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that. And out of context, I'm, the first thing my head goes to is Jaws. And I was like, when did he say this? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I know that's part of it. And then I know that, that there's a bar for wolf. That doesn't even strike there's, me There's as also wolf. apparently yeah. the, the Spanish in it is not subtitled. Now, I don't know how much Spanish is actually in it. There's, it may okay. be like uh, now and then people say see and no. And like... Yeah. Having Some, seen the movie, it's it's somewhere between. Okay, there's okay. there's a not insignificant amount of Spanish spoken in the movie. That said, if you don't speak Spanish, you will not have any trouble following. Right. See, that's on. that's the thing. I feel like that is that's the case sometimes. And like even like if you, I don't know if you've read much um, Cormac McCarthy, but he does that often where he'll just use Spanish in the book and like you might miss a thing here or there, but you mostly yeah. get the the yeah. context and you, you can, it's, it's enough for you to be able to understand it. They're the casual reader. And, but yeah, he, his, cause I did read his entire article again, not totally sure why, but, uh, but yeah, his, his thing, he really pointed at the, the not that at not subtitling the Spanish. And, and I think that was the first I'd heard of that choice. Mm-hmm. And my first thought when I heard it was, Oh, Interesting. Yeah, is, if, um, in, in case I didn't couch this in the right way, I'm fully for both of those. Cho- I think those are good choices. Yes. I, I'm kind of against the idea of remaking the movie in the first place, but sure. those yeah. choices don't make it a bad movie to me. Tyler, yeah. you have once again revealed that you do not listen to me on the movie journal because I talked about the unsubtitled. Oh, and you know, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't listen to you, but you know, actually, <laughs> now that you mentioned it, yes, I did. Uh, did I respond to that? I don't remember. Did I make I, a noise of, oh, see, uh, yeah. I probably wasn't listening either. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, both of us just talk, and when we get a sense that the other one's done, yeah. uh, Isn't it's that time the definition to go. of a podcast. Yeah, really, yeah. Mm, that's kind of <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> and then the, the only people that are really engaged are the ones that can't talk, which are the listeners. They're just screaming at the radios. <laughs> radios, because they're sitting, you know, in um, their living room in front of a giant yeah. uh, 1930s, the Lord Annie style uh, radio. Yeah. Um, they just finished listening to FDR's fireside chat. <laughs> <laughs> See what Mouse should potentially has to say. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what? Now I feel bad because now that you mentioned it, I, I do remember you saying that. And now I feel bad that I forgot that you said that. But anyway, I, I was joking because the, we're off topic, but the number of times on the movie journal or whatever, or on uh, speaking of the Patreon, when we do like our top five mm-hmm. of the year or whatever, the number of times like while you're talking, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say about my next movie. Sure. So I don't sound like an idiot. So sometimes I miss things that you, but I will say that you say there are some movies I'm more interested in what you have to say about than others. And West Side Story was one of them. Um, but anyway, the point is, so he, he brought that up and he just immediately just like dismissed it as, as all that. And it's one of those things like, and I imagine that 
critics of all kinds. Not, and I don't know if he comment, uh, if he fancies himself as a critic or a commentator, but his take is just so inherently uncurious. Like the idea of saying, "Oh, why? I wonder why Steven Spielberg chose not to do this thing," as opposed to just like, "Well, that's wrong. I can't I can't understand what they're saying if I'm not reading the subtitles." I guess good for him for even entertaining the notion of having a non-English language uh, in the film. But like, it just bothers me so much. And I find it more often with conservative film critics who have a very specific idea of what movies are. And if it, if a film does not adhere to that, even a big entertain, maybe especially a big entertaining movie like West Side Story, they just cannot, they not only do they not compute, but they have no, they seem to have no interest in computing. And it frustrates me a lot. Like, it's just like, there's no reason that a, that a right-leaning, right-leaning person has to have this attitude. And this is something that you and I, Josh, have expressed before in frust- a, a, a frustration about like these commentators. And so it was just, you know, I, I wanted to express my frustration here. Can You're I welcome to join in and you, David, as well. Um, is you use the term wokeness. Is that something you were extrapolating from it or is that something this guy specifically? Oh, he said it many times. <laughs> so wh- maybe I'm cause I'm on a different side of the political divide than, than you guys. And often I've found that the same words that get used in the lexicon mean different things to different sides. Sure. So I don't really understand. Like, is it woke to speak Spanish? Like what is the wokeness so, about it? I, what I think it is. And I think is, I think his problem in general is, is twofold. And I think the first part of it responds to what you're talking about and or what you're asking. And, and it's that, it, under a, a larger banner, it's just putting your politics before your ability to understand or do anything else. And on a smaller banner, I think it's extrapolating from it, it's taking from frustrations they might have with like people not learning English when they move to the United States or whatever, which, I, you know, that's its own thing. But it, it goes from that to like they equate that with a, a dislike for America and the American dream. And then they say that anything that is, is moving in that direction. So this movie yeah. by not having that is, is doing the same yeah. as that it might seem to encourage that. Right. Uh, I could so, see it. He doesn't say that, but what I'll say, I don't want to get too far into politics, but yeah, like, sorry, everybody, but that, <laughs> that point of view of defining saying that my definition of America and the American dream is the right one this is why you guys always get called fascists. <laughs> like that's how you, that's where you end up. That's the beginning of the road to fascism. When you're saying this, my America is mine. Yeah. And everyone and else must do. It's such a, it's, I, it's I was rooted in saying you guys, cause I know you guys aren't, aren't this guy. <laughs> well, slow down now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, there's, yeah, it, it's very frustrating. And I do think that it, it just goes back to, that that quote that that I don't think originated with Roger Ebert, but I know that he popularized it at least for me. The idea of film being a machine that generates empathy, and I do think that not to suggest that empathy it goes one way or the other politically, but I do think that uh, if you look at everything through a political lens and you and you've got your your guard up, then anything that would seem to be something that the other side could possibly use something that in my view is artistically neutral, like remaking West side story with a cast that actually is (laughs) the nationality of their characters. Um, yeah. Or at least, you know, 
from the continent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. At the very, <laughs> at the very least, uh, not to suggest that the actors in the original film are bad. They're actually quite good, but at the same time, I'm very much in favor of the idea of, of representation. That to me is not inherently woke. That seems to me it, it, common it's not sense. inherently woke in the bad way that conservatives Sure, use. sure. Like, yeah. I guess I guess it does fit into the yeah, yeah. Um, I think there could be a perception that it's being remade specifically to be woke, to be like, look, we're gonna do it the right way this sure. Time. I don't think that's the case. Again, no. As but the I think guy in the room has seen the movie, that's not what this movie is about. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I think people could have that perception, especially yeah. if there are people who are you know, a, if you're a traditionalist in general, then you might much be the be the person who's going to say, why would you pop? Why would you remake a good movie? This is also, yeah, gets into, we should really get to the episode. Sorry, everybody. here, but, um, it gets another thing that I, um, get frustrated with people like not recognizing that there was nuance in the past. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Steven Sondheim was a liberal guy. And like a lot of what West side story is saying about the treatment of, of non-white people who come into the continental United States and how they're treated, like would be considered woke today. Oh yeah. Like that, it has to be a new thing to them because yeah, I mean, like there, there are certain, I don't know these, I, I, the, the terminology changes. We weren't using the term woke in 1961, but like the idea of, we acknowledging racism is not is not like a, a, a new thing. It's, yeah. You know, it, it, um, in left wing politics and, and and identity politics and and yeah and social justice and these sort of things. Like the terminology might change, and that makes it feel like it's new because we weren't saying woke, we weren't saying cancel right. or whatever before. But that's just. That's all that's all that's really changed the terminology. These conversations have been going on for a long, long time. Well, I, I think I will say that. And again, I don't agree with this person's position because I think they're starting from the wrong place. But I think there I think there is some validity in an idea that if you believe that people were remaking this this movie because they thought that the original was like not woke enough and should be canceled because it doesn't use actors of the right race and things like that. I, I don't agree with that perspective either. But like if you come into it thinking that's why they're doing it then I could see you having a problem with it. That's not why they're doing it. Yeah, that. but you have to be, right. have to be projecting that. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they're not. Okay. And, and I can't imagine, if if that is your perspective, I cannot imagine you being really in the headspace to be convinced otherwise. Because you're Probably. approaching it purely from a political standpoint, yeah. just assuming that there's a political agenda. Meanwhile, it could also be that Steven Spielberg is so in love with the original West Side Story that he wants to engage yeah. with it the way a filmmaker would, which is to make it. Yeah, yeah. it could be. I, I think the... It feels like, to me, there's an easy answer to why the movie's not doing well at the box office. It's because when you take a beloved movie and remake it, there's so much baggage with that. Regard, Like, how many people have to be going into this skeptical in the first place? Like, I kind of... The first trailer I saw, I, saw, I was like, absolutely not. There's no way yeah. I'm going to go see yeah. that movie. Yep. Now I'm hearing great things about it, so I might see it, but, like... Yeah. It, Old, they have this huge hill to get over. That seems like an obvious answer to the box office question. Like I don't know. Younger people don't have an don't really have an association with it. Older people are could you could say they have too much of an association with yeah. it. It's really it's a movie for people like us. I would say who are who who may have a respect and maybe even a love for the original, but are always willing to see like oh let's see what a different director does with this. But I I wasn't well. I went in if I hadn't you know I got invited to like a press screen right. or whatever. If I hadn't I don't well like then the reviews were good. 
then I would have wanted to see it. Yeah. But it wasn't really on my to see list because yeah. I think, and I think I said this on the movie journal. I know you don't remember. Um, but, What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? But I guess you've seen like, this film as, as great as what Steven Spielberg is doing. The whole movie is there's a, there was a, there was a part of like the back of my mind that wouldn't shut up. That was saying, but why do you have to do it to this movie? Like, right. I, I, I was still mad about it being not mad, but skeptical even throughout the movie of why this, this movie was being remade. Cause I also love the original. And it's, I mean like at its, and I know this is a different conversation than the one we were just having, but like the, I've, I, I haven't heard, like movie people talk about like the necessity of this film in this way since like Gus Van Sant's psycho, um, which that <laughs> even then that was like, well, we're trying to do the exact same thing if we can. Uh, and yeah. this one, at least he's trying to do his own thing. But, uh, but yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely goes back to this idea that even, even critics who I think can be pretty forward thinking, not just politically, but artistically, even we are just like, Oh, like we can be kind of traditional. We kind of yeah, hold our yeah. traditions uh, pretty, pretty tight as well. And so yeah. anyway, so it just really frustrated me. Just like, there's no, it's something I, I try to say to my students and now I feel like I'm going to try and hit it even more. It's like if something, if someone is making a choice that you don't like or that you don't understand, you can either just say, I don't like it. I don't understand it. That's the end. Or you can ask why. And even if you, can't come up with an answer at least you're trying to engage with this thing but again like this is a guy who's who's looking to make a political point and so engagement is not what he's interested in yeah. but i and i feel like that happens a lot with you know conservative commentators and i had one other thing i was going to say about that if i'm not pushing us too much for time are we are we i'll say it, i'll try and say it quick so i was saying there was a twofold problem i think one is is seeing some political problem and applying that political problem to the movie which uh, and i think the other one is um uh, is a thing that does have that we've talked about Tyler and I yeah. about uh, with con- uh, conservative critics sometimes is that s- they look at the films only in terms of their financial success and that that's the only factor to go by to tell right. whether or not it's a good movie and I feel like a, uh, I always compare uh, an easy comparison is to taste like mm-hmm. McDonald's makes a lot more money than say whatever amazing five star Michelin you know they don't do five stars whatever uh, amazing restaurant that's in a little part of LA yeah but that doesn't mean that it's worse. It just means that it McDonald's is more marketable. It appeals yeah. more to, uh, to to anybody, and uh, so I feel like sometimes movies that make a lot of money, sure they can be fine, but they, yeah. I mean, they're the McDonald's burger to a yeah. steak at a at a nice restaurant sometimes. And sometimes you're in the mood for a McDonald's burger, and that's right. fine. Not there's like, nothing wrong with that. To require everything to be that steak or everything to be McDonald's is uh, very limiting and it, exhausting. And it's a misunderstanding of what taste is. Like, yeah. taste is different for different people who come from different places and have yeah. different uh, approaches to food and film and art and everything. So, right. anyway. All right. All right. Well... I'm feeling energized, I guess. I don't know. Oh, that's good. David, how did you feel about that conversation? I feel Thumbs the down? Of energized. No, I didn't know. I thought it was okay. a good conversation, but it was, uh, it did take a lot out of me. Um, but I, I came into this. Let's take a nap. You want to take a nap? Well, sure. I, I mean, I'm coming into this episode kind of depleted because I have not slept much the past few days in cramming for this episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched a lot of movies. Uh, but let's so let's get into it, shall we? Um, eagle-eyed viewers, uh, listeners. Uh, sorry, this isn't the Patreon. There's no viewers. Eagle-eyed listeners might have noticed that there's a number at the front of every episode, sometimes two. Uh, in this case, that number ends with a zero. This is episode 
seven seventy or eighty. A seventy, I think. Okay, I've lost uh, track. I think this is episode seven seventy. So the episode ends in a zero. So it's divisible by ten. And as the <laughs> listeners know, yeah. every come back when it's divisible ten, by fifty. Those are the ones I keep track of. Every ten weeks. Anytime there's an episode that's divisible by 10, we profile an artist who has passed away somewhat recently. Um, except every 50 weeks when we set that aside for yeah. uh, uh, another 10 yeah. weeks and we do the, some shenanigans. <laughs> exactly, shenanigans. We the do, dead can go screw themselves. Every 50 weeks we do shenanigans. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, look. <laughs> every shenanigan boy or girl <laughs> um, all right uh so here we are to profile someone who has passed recently and uh back in early september uh the world lost one of the um uh the the the, the pillars of of an era of cinema uh, you know he a guy who um defines for me is is many many people's including my own entry point into french new wave is breathless i don't know if that's true of you guys but that's like definitely the first new wave film that i saw and so i've known who jean paul belmondo was as long as i've known what french new wave was uh and and the two are are linked in my mind in a way that i think is uh is true for a lot of people i don't know if you saw um back when he passed away uh, the the critic Richard, Richard Brody um, hmm. tweeted uh, in memory and honor of Jean-Paul Belmondo it all started with him imagine Orson Welles directing another actor in the role of Kane Belmondo is that actor and it took mighty shoulders for him to bear the glory and the burden of history in every role for the rest of his life so Richard Brody is saying basically that Breathless <laughs> is as seminal a film as Citizen Kane and that Jean-Paul Belmondo had to represent that yeah. the same way that Orson Welles uh, did, is how I take that quote. Yeah, that sounds right. So, um, so yeah, uh, we're going to talk about the career of Jean-Paul Belmondo. I went into this only having seen two movies that he was in, um, so I watched nine more <laughs> over the past week. <laughs> I only saw one, and now I've seen three more. Okay. But one of them is very long. <laughs> um, yeah, I watched a long one, too. I hope it's the same one. Um, Doubtful. Uh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Is oh. it one in which he plays a very small part? No, he plays oh. three parts oh. in this one. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious as to what Let's it just is. talk in veiled terms. Uh, let's yeah. let's, let's seen see it. if never, we can do this. Well, what I, um, um, I went in, I, re- I realized I didn't really do this on purpose, but I have only seen one Jean-Paul Belmondo movie that did not come out in the 60s. That was mm. like clearly his heyday. He would go. I mean, he went on in France, especially. One thing I was I was looking at, like French, like one sheets for his movies and how often he was just Belmondo, like not yeah. Jean-Paul Belmondo and just like Belmondo. Um, that's a fun. That's a fun last name to do yeah. that with. Like yeah. you can't say Smith or Long <laughs> or Bax like Belmondo. Yeah, it does feel like there should be an exclamation point after it immediately. <laughs> Bax is pretty it's it's rare enough i think that it's yeah but it's no and you know admittedly it is a strong one a strong single syllable but it doesn't yeah you can't strike it's like it's really it's 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 one and done it's yeah hit it and quit it (laughs) Um, uh so did you guys have any 
general thoughts that you wanted to get to, to address about Jean-Paul before we get into going chronologically as we tend to do um, through his career. I was anticipating that this was going to be a chore for me uh, because of my um, general impatience with uh, French New Wave, specifically Godard. <laughs> um, and... You know, the the one additional Godard movie that I watched was frustrating. I appreciated it much, much more than I liked it. Uh, I hope this is the same uh, movie because I, I, after this past week, have a new favorite Godard movie. Oh, I have oh, wow. no doubt. And I'm sure it is this one because <laughs> okay. that's just how you are. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, and it's and so he's definitely it, Breathless was the only one of his that I had seen previously um, of 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 uh, Belmondo. I'd seen yeah. I'd seen other Godard, but um, but yeah, and uh, and Breathless is a film I had to I had to come to. It took me a while, and have any well let's I don't want to necessarily use this as a as a starting point, but like but Breathless is my starting point. I don't know if you I have another movie from the same year. Yeah, so do I, but, but I'm going uh, in dime to be ordering. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so yeah. my only image of Jean Paul Belmondo and when I was reading, you know, obits and stuff like that, it's like, okay, it appears this is kind of what everybody's thought of him was was like he was just like super cool. And admittedly, with the possible exception of Humphrey Bogart or Robert Mitchum, like very few people can smoke as well as he can. Mm, that's um, a good one, yeah. And yeah, and so uh, and and Breathless is all about that coolness, but also it's not it's not pure coolness. Like as far as the character goes, it is a character who is cool and wants to appear cool. The like at the same time, I don't know which one came first, yeah. but he definitely is very image conscious. He is often quite immature and it does take, it's odd. Like for a character to be that self-conscious, it requires an actor who is not that self-conscious. Um, and I feel like he in, in that role, is is very effective like there are times when i'm annoyed at him there are times when i find him funny there are times when i think he is undeniably cool he's all of these things which is the same as the film and uh and that was my association that was my first image of him and certainly with a lot of other a lot with uh, let's say three of the four movies of his that i watched uh that was the 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 vibe of him yeah and that uh, that speaks to belmondo but also speaks to to Godard and something that I yeah. that I think I I was slow to catch on to with Godard or, or at least to, to gel with with Godard that I that I like now, which is how often his movies are feature characters that I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I used to have more of a problem with that. Like I would um, I would I'm not saying that I always needed every main character to be like that it needed to like sign off on them. Yeah. But there was something about his movies for a long time that would be like, why do I, why do I want to sit here for an hour and a half with, with, with these people? But, um, I think I've become to use the word you use a lot, uh, Tyler more curious. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think you can, um, reveal things about, about people. And, and Belmondo is one of those actors who is, so himself, like you kind of, when he shows up in movies, you generally know what you get, what you're going to get with some mm-hmm. exceptions, I think. Uh, but also he's, th- there's, there's that, that honesty that is, that is very revealing about his characters and about him. And I feel like you can, he's an actor that you can see, um, you can see 
people through like you yeah. can see mankind in a way through through him yeah um, um I, I like tyler how you kind of hit on his his not being um was self-conscious the word you used or what was the the he's the, yeah he's he, his character in that at least is pretty self-conscious which means that he is unselfconscious. Yeah, and and I think that's one of the things I find fascinating about him not not just as a, an actor in the way that affects his performances, but in the I knew a little bit about him, and I probably read his Wikipedia page a long time ago, and then looked at it back again recently. And there are so many interesting things with him, like making choices where it's just like he didn't care about the things that you would expect people to care about. Yeah. I know there was um, there was something about the the uh, Visconti film, Two Women, in which he, he appears, which well, I haven't seen. I don't know if we'll get to that, but... Uh, uh, DeSica. DeSica. But, uh, oh, DeSica. Yeah. We will get to Two Women, um, but let's not... Yes, we will. Well, no, I, I, about the film, he said that uh, the character he was playing was different. He said, like, people probably aren't going to like because it's a different type of character, but I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it is a different type of character, but... Um, to be, like, open about, like, he didn't really care about that, and uh, there were there's some other good quotes on that Wikipedia page that I, I wish I'd written down, but things where people would kind of, Oh, there was something about, and this might not have been Wikipedia where I saw it, where uh, they asked him about going to Hollywood and being in more Hollywood movies. And, he was kind of like they already have people who do what I do in Hollywood yeah <laughs> why do they need me I'm That's French like they have yeah. American actors who do American stuff like he he was he was very interested in America and like kind of fascinated with American cool but like he knew that that he wasn't American cool and he wasn't going to go try and be that which <laughs> yeah the most he could if he were to do that the most he could hope for was like exotic cool because like oh an accent you know it's, yeah. it would be yeah. that and he would still project that that coolness but I think he would be pigeonholed uh, as this one very specific thing he might wind up you know there's that wonderful sketch after Jean Dujardin won his Oscar uh, where he's uh, <laughs> he's talking to these agents and he's just it's like, oh, you're a European who just won an Oscar. It's time to start playing villains. Uh, and he's just auditioning for every possible villain in increasingly more ridiculous uh, movies. Um, before we move on from, from Breathless, one overall thought that I had about Jean-Paul Bamondo is I think he's one of those guys, kind of like Adam Driver, that I think as a straight man, sometimes there's a part of me that's like, why is he considered sexy but then like when you watch his movies you you get it yeah. you know like i've said yeah. before oh, yeah. about like young gerard depardieu um that yeah he's like got kind of like a the face of a you know a total goober or whatever yeah but he's and got he's so this, skinny too like yeah, young, every time yeah. he's he's uh, belmondo every oh, time Belmondo's, he's like yeah. fighting somebody in a movie i'm like this guy's not gonna win this fight but he yeah. always does but he usually yeah he usually does there, <laughs> usually, there's some stuff yeah. that he gets beat up too uh yeah but i i think i do get his sex appeal even though he looks like i don't know like the skinniness i think adds to sometimes he looks like an overgrown kid yes in in a a way but uh i think i get it do you have anything else to say about about uh breathless uh there's a lot to say about it i think we've covered it right it's breathless (laughs) um but i I sometimes have that with like the biggest movie in the world i'm like why do i need to talk about this for more than a couple minutes yeah yeah. well i think everything else we might have to say about it would just be about the movie in general and about like the reasons that it's it's um uh, groundbreaking and all, and I think most of your audience probably is familiar with that already. And if they're not, then this this might not be the best 
venue for it. But uh, right. if you haven't seen it, it's it's pretty good. Check yeah, it out. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Um, <laughs> and if you have seen it, you remember all that stuff you you heard about it or that you've said about it? Just imagine we're saying that yeah. right now. <laughs> um, we'll just be quiet for a minute. Yeah. Can... Are we moving on to Two Women or is there any other 1960? Uh, two Women is, is one of the ones that I watched. So yeah, Two Women is um, Victoria to Seek, also 1960. It's, uh, as Josh said, a departure for him we, I, I don't know if we've talked if we've defined the kind of roles that seem like Belmondo roles they're usually to me like like casual like go with the flow guys who are maybe can be a little caddish but yeah, are yeah. also like charming there's he plays a lot of like schemers and swindlers yeah and like stuff. crime crime yeah, adjacent yeah. at least I would describe him as like would be tough guys <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah but in Two Women he's the the bookish intellectual like they call him professor, even though he's yeah. a student, but that's yeah. like a classic insult for smart guys, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so you watched this. I did. In pro- yeah, so did I. Um, and then and I, had, I, uh, I like, loved it. It's, it's, it's tough. It's a great it's movie, a but after movie. it's over, I had to like go, I don't know, stand in the sun yeah. for a little bit because it's a, <laughs> it's a very... Uh, but the thing is... It's like Desika about- said, how can I out Desika myself? <laughs> oh, I know. Um so here's a comparison you're not going to see coming. Uh, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, right? Mission accomplished. I know, right there with you. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> but I'm saying, when you leave Avengers Infinity War, when I did, you're like, oh, man, yeah. what a downer. But then you think back, and you're like, oh, no, that movie was a fucking blast for a long time. It just ends on a down way. And, like, Two Women is not necessarily a fucking blast, but it is a fun, like, it's. I think it's the best I've ever seen Sophia Loren. I have a new favorite Sophia Loren performance. I believe she won uh, the Oscar for that. Uh, she did. Did she? Yes. So. Is she the... Uh, was she who would have, been, would have been the first non-English I think it's her yeah and I think it's that yeah hmm. uh, I didn't know she won an Oscar for it that's because um, it was like a big deal when Roberto Benini won because like oh man these granted there was a bit of a gap but like man the Italians are tearing it up here at the Oscars <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're gonna win another yeah. 50 years <laughs> uh, yeah so I mean it is actually I mean it's about Italy in, during the war Sophia Loren plays a woman who lives in Rome with her daughter who's like 11 or 12 mm. um, and her I just watched this like yesterday I should remember her husband is at war is that is her husband in? I her husband's he, away. I'm thinking, and he he might have died. I don't remember, or if he's. I mean, he either died like in battle, or okay. he's simply away. I don't okay. remember exactly. But um, Rome is getting bombed, so she like takes her her daughter out to live with, I guess, her family out in the countryside, mm-hmm. and they're that she may not have seen for quite a while. Yeah, she's she's like become a a Rome. Yeah. What is the demon in for Rome? Is it Roman? If you I live get, in Rome? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but Roman also means, like, ancient Rome. So, <laughs> yeah. like, I guess context clues give it away. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, wait a minute. Where should There is Rome? a time travel element to the film <laughs> that you don't expect. Um, uh, yeah, she's... It's funny to watch... Because Natalie and I are always rewatching The Sopranos. So it's kind of funny to see Sophia Loren and the other Italians in this movie and see, like, oh, yeah, I guess that's just how they, like, ah. They, like, <laughs> yeah. These big, big reactions are, like, um, the way Sophia Loren will, like, be... Uh, if someone talks about something she doesn't know or care about, she's just like, nah, like, just, like, this <laughs> yeah. it, like with uh, Jean Pablo and like the Bible and stuff like yeah. that. And she's, <laughs> uh, it, it might as well be like, I'm not following that, uh, that sort of thing. But then, uh, it becomes a movie. So it, it all takes place under the, during the war, but the movie kind of gives the impression that the scariest time 
was right when the war ended because mm-hmm. then you've got a countryside crawling with like desperate Germans or like yeah. overly celebratory allies or whatever. And, and that was at the most risk was, was that yeah. chaotic period at the very end. And that's when things get uh, real fucking heavy in this movie. Yeah. And, and honestly more, more explicit. I mean, it's, it's 1960, but more explicit than I would have assumed from, even from a, from a, a, a non-American film, of that era because that scene is yeah that scene is rough yeah yeah i mean there's a couple of, of yeah of scenes uh, um but i guess we're, we're here to talk i, I we always make this mistake when we do the bro- yeah. profiles start talking <laughs> with the movie we're here to talk about Bamondo in in particular and yeah it's a different role for him because he's bookish um but it's not a different role for him in that he is also like a, an object of desire mm-hmm. for um definitely for the like pubescent girl looking up to him the uh rosetta is that uh that, I think so. daughter's name I think rosetta so. um she's got a little like girlish crush on him but there's also sophia loren is not without like uh some hots for him either yeah uh, now you saw the film as well, right? No, I haven't. Oh, seen, oh, this okay. was one. I was on the list of ones to see, but okay. I didn't get to it. And I was, I was. This one was like a, an immediate priority for me because, I was like, oh, what? How does he fit into a, a Desica yeah. uh, sensibility? That's part of the reason I wanted to see it, and yeah. knowing that he's playing against type a little bit. And what's interesting is, so this was the first film uh, I watched of the of the three that I that I did watch for this, and my only association my only association with him was um breathless and i think of the character in breathless as kind of dumb <laughs> yeah you know this character not merely because he's you know he, he's not merely bookish he does exude intelligence it's often sort of a haughty kind of intelligence that you that does fit with his his breathless character but he's able to really play that and it's more than just they threw a pair of glasses and a scarf on him um yeah he he really does seem to be a thoughtful person and a sensitive person who is affected. He might distance himself thing, from things emotionally, but he is clearly affected by what is happening in his country and is yeah. sometimes frustrated, uh, sometimes brokenhearted. Uh, it's it's a really it's a really good performance. Yeah, he's, uh, he's sensitive also to the point of being insecure, which uh, yeah. speaks to a little bit what you were talking about the self consciousness of Breathless. I think we'll also see it in. Um, another movie that's 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 coming up but like the part where like they're all the uh, the whole little village or mm. extended family is gathered and he's like reading from the bible to them and like yeah. no one's paying attention to him yeah that's um i uh i felt a little more seen than i wanted to <laughs> not that i read from the bible but like the idea of you talk- should start <laughs> every time you get the family together just yeah, like, yeah. Just, guys yeah, this may throw you the idea of being among people and talking about a thing that you care about and other people not being interested is maybe a little bit too it was close to home for me <laughs> and i do like that you wouldn't expect it from a film like this but his he's sort of revealed uh, like in his like his first his first uh, appearance in the film is you see like the the family and he's not really emphasized in any of the camera shots right that's and then true. suddenly he speaks up and it's like he just materialized yeah that's true <laughs> it's yeah. it really is like a, it really is like a reveal it's an interesting choice so 1961 then I also have two movies to talk about in 1961 but the first one I'm not going to say much about because it's been forever but um, another Godard a woman is a woman I also saw that a long time yeah. ago long enough ago that I had to try and look it up on my letterbox to see if I had registered and having seen it which I had I, I remember 
remember nearly nothing about it. Well, like another Godard we'll get to, it has sort of Godard versions of musical numbers in it, uh, or at least one. Like I said, it's been a long time. Um, it's also very short. It's 84 minutes. Uh, but the, the premise is that um, basically, uh, as I recall, okay, Anna Karina is uh, super hot. <laughs> is Agreed. um oh okay i'm reading this i've forgotten this part of it i thought she was just like hard up for sex from her boyfriend but she wants to get pregnant and her boyfriend does not want to impregnate her and says why don't you get pregnant by my friend jean paul <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so he's again it's like that movie kissing a fool which i never saw that's it's a shitty 90s movie <laughs> um so anyway he he's the uh, I think, as I recall here, he's again like playing this sort of like uh, the more impulsive charmer type. And mm-hmm. He's uh, again uh, uh, an object of desire, sex symbol again. Mm-hmm. But okay, it's been twenty years since yeah. in the movie, so I guess we'll move on to uh, Leon Moran Priest, which is a Jean Pierre Melville movie, but not a crime movie. I associate Jean Pierre Melville. Yeah, with, a crime, with crime movies. I, practically all the ones I've seen, I think. I guess Army of Shadows isn't a crime movie, but it, it's adjacent anyway. Um, so either have either of you seen Leon Moran no. Priest? It's fantastic. Uh, it is uh, about a priest, obviously. Um, and again, now what's this priest's name? <laughs> <laughs> um, like like two women and like another movie we'll talk about uh it takes place during world war ii it seemed to be i don't know if this is a bamondo thing or just like in the 60s the french people were making a lot of movies about mm-hmm. like it had been 20 years and like here's what it was like here's what being occupied was like um so you've got this uh, small town uh priest and again like in two women he's kind of the intellectual type he's the i guess you'd consider him the cool priest by priest standards but again <laughs> like he rides a skateboard a very, or something yeah he's a very insecure guy i kept thinking of and this is because like i said i'm always watching the sopranos i kept thinking of phil father phil yeah. Tola, that he's like he, he he befriends this 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 woman in the, in the town played by emmanuel uh riva from who oh, yeah. mm-hmm. all these years later yeah. um uh who is not a believer, but is like season him kind of like, Oh, here's another person who cares about like books and, and wants to talk about, uh, things outside of this town. And eventually he like actually without even really trying to converts her over as the, as the movie goes on, she ends up becoming a Catholic and, and, and attending church. But it's, there's this push and pull of like, what is this relationship? Like, are they friends? Are they more? Are there times when she wants to, overtly acknowledge that there might be more between them. And he seems to be in that father Phil way, kind of being cool, being cagey, keeping it yeah. at a distance in a way that again makes as, as we were talking about with like breathless and stuff, uh, makes him sometimes not the best guy. Like there are, yeah. there are times when you get very frustrated with him because he, um, he lashes out in ways that use his, because he's more worldly and obviously being a priest and she being a prisoner, prisoner, there's a power imbalance there and, and he can be withholding in a, in a childish insecure type of way. Um, uh, it's a fantastic performance and, um, I'll, I'll say Tyler, you and I on the Patreon, I keep mentioning the Patreon cause you know, sign up for the Patreon, but we've been doing yeah. this thing where we like sort of somewhat at random go through our top 100 of all time, you mm-hmm. know? 
and we've been waiting to complete that project before I make a new top 100 list. <laughs> I need to complete that project. I know. So that I can put Leon Moran Priest on my top 100 films of no. all time list. It's, it's, it's that great. And also, it's, it's just so... From the little Melville I know, including another one we'll talk about here, um, it was really un- unexpected because it's not crime and it's also not like that. It doesn't have that like I, th- I feel like his movies are often even when they're not crime. Like you're talking about Army Shadows, like very plotty. Mm-hmm. And this is this is not. This is a, a, a largely just a, like a two hander, you know, interpersonal relationship movie. Uh, really beautiful stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, I can't be doing all the talking. So. Uh, I'm ready. There, to there's a kid crying, by the way, uh, and it, I, people probably can't hear it, but we can. And so, essentially, it happens occasionally. We give it five minutes, okay. and if he's still crying after five minutes, then I I go in. So hopefully, we get to the movie, the the other '60s movie that I saw before <laughs> that happens. Okay. Um, well, I'm jumping 1962 and another Melville. Uh, okay. Les Dulos. Hmm. Um, this one I I, I didn't watch because I had seen some other Melville and I didn't want to watch too much Melville. I tried well, to branch out a little bit, but I wanted to watch this one and the Melville ones in particular because I don't know. Have you seen seen Bertrand Tavernier's do, uh, very long documentary, My Journey Through French Cinema? Mm-mm. No, I, I've wanted to, but it's really uh, fascinating. And he talks about Le Dulos and he talks about. Um, the fact that I guess, despite having worked together multiple times, Jean-Paul Mondo and Jean-Pierre Melville did not really get along. I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> like he actually plays audio clips of them, like screaming at each other on set. <laughs> um, and he's, yeah, he specifically like includes clips of, of Belmondo in the Dulos. So that was one that I wa- very much wanted. It was actually the first one that I watched in preparation for this. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll say less about this one cause it is, it's very Melville to, uh, uh, Belando is not the lead. He's, I guess the, I guess the antagonist, but we kind of, we don't know. No one, I, I stay where no one in the movie is a good guy. They're all, <laughs> they're all, um, they're all criminals. The movie starts with a guy who's recently gotten out of jail, finds out about a, a potential job coming up and then kills the guy who told them so that he can go do the job and mm. steal it out from other, under other people. And then smart Belmondo plays, uh, um, his, I don't know, friend cohort or whatever, who may or may not have, uh, ratted him out to the cops. Cause the mm. cops show up at the, at mm. the end. Uh, we learn from the opening, um, uh, title that led Dulos is slang for like informer. So, okay. um, mm. the, I guess the, so the Twitter sort of like engines of friction of the movie is like, uh, is, is our main guy going to like get caught? And also is his, did his friend inform on him? Or not? That's so here's that's my question given. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's my question. Having, having not seen the film, but I'm, I mean, Belmondo was like a genuine star in France at this, at this mm-hmm. point. And so casting a star in, would you say it's 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 a like secondary lead or a genuine supporting performance? Uh, you know, as it goes on, it might be a secondary okay. lead. It's it's a large role. Okay, okay, um, but not merely a star, but also a star who has a very specific public image. Mm-hmm. So, as someone who was, you know, very aware of of Belmondo, um, when it's introduced that he might have done it, did you as a viewer? have an instinct like oh he did it or oh he didn't rooted in like just 
why why would they cast him in this role if not to capitalize on how he is seen? Yeah, I, I think my initial assumption was that he was an informer, but I think that it has more to do with just that he's not our point of view character. Okay, like our point of we see that our point of view character was betrayed, even though we saw him like sure. six minutes before we saw him betrayed to the point of murder somebody else. Yeah. But you know, you tend to identify with your point of view character often. So uh, I think I was leaning towards he did it. Uh, he, he's an informer because of because of that. But I don't think, yeah, this is definitely isn't against type. This okay. this role that he's that he's playing here. He's okay. still the slick criminal, very breathless okay. type of role. Um, I'm jumping to 1964. Okay, and I don't remember what year it is that I'm. Yeah, that, I might uh, need to look at some of the years. Yeah, but yeah I, usually uh, you have the. Oh, I guess you you're worried about. Well, I, I know there's two other Godard ones, and I think one of them... Is that what you're at now? No, uh, the next one for me is 1965 in terms of Godard. 1964 is uh, Philippe de Broca's That Man from Rio. Oh, I have seen this one, yes. Okay, well, I almost wanted to bring it up earlier when you guys were talking about the idea of him going to Hollywood, because mm-hmm. That Man from Rio is not a Hollywood movie, but it has that feel of being like a big you know, jet-setting from France to Rio. like. No action caper comedy um, where he's playing like his version of the Hitchcock like guy who gets mm. roped into yeah. um, it's it's a, a madcap fast paced very funny um, movie yeah. what were you going to say I, I, no I, I, I uh, yeah I would agree with that and I th- it's funny I think after sort of the early 60s when he was working a lot with Godard and, and Melville and stuff like that I think this type of movie became more the sort of thing he would be known for, especially in France. Um, okay. A lot of the movies that he, he was in in the 60s and 70s that were like huge hits in France, which the, part of my journey with this whole thing was frustration that it's so impossible to see a bunch of these movies. Like there's, there's there were like five of them that was like, oh, I really want to see that. You can't find it anywhere right now. Yeah, well, I, um, I mentioned, I, I think... I can't remember if I said this on mic or not, but I only have one outside of the 70s, uh, or outside of the 60s. I would have had more. I really wanted to see him as Jean Valjean in the 90s, 1995 yeah. Les Miserables. Yeah. It's not... This is... Tyler's smiling because he found it somewhere, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, did you? Uh, oh. But, uh, not the highest quality, but it's, you know, it's uh, it's there. Okay, I yeah, I really that. wanted to see it, but I, I couldn't um, find but, it. But, yeah, some of these other ones he did in the... There's, there's one called The Animal, where he's like a, a stuntman that looks like another caper comedy. And I know after that man from Rio, they made another one that was a, a sequel of sorts. I don't know if it was a true sequel or if it was just a very similar character by the same director that, that wasn't as successful. But anyway, um, that man from Rio is, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It has that sort of, um, uh, if I were going to compare it to an English language movie, I'd say like maybe an in like Flint type of thing Okay, where it's, 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 <laughs> It's like actiony, but it's fun at the same time. Yeah. Like it's it's not James Bond. It's not that type of action. Even though it has like the jet setting element to it, I feel like that's where our minds go when we think of James Bond. We're like, oh, yeah. you know, action going around the world. It's James Bond, but it's it's like more fun and kind of funny and then yeah. a little sillier maybe. But it's clearly a big budget. Like, yeah, I mean, there's beautiful shots of of Rio, and then they actually go to 
the capital Brasilia, which if you know about Brasilia was a, like there wasn't a city there. And then Brazil said, we're going to make a city here and that's going to be our capital. And that was founded in 1960. This is 1964. So Brasilia, the city oh, wow. itself is like still under construction. Mm. And that leads to like, uh, I have a thing with heights in, in movies sometimes. <laughs> and there's a definitely, uh, uh, an extended part where like literally my palms were sweating because he's like, <laughs> and he's doing a lot of, I don't know how much he was actually dangling off of things, but there's a lot of, he spends the entire movie like running or stealing cars or fighting people <laughs> or riding motorcycles. It's like the movie has so propulsive. incredibly, yeah, forward huh. momentum and he, and his physicality is, is, is up with it. And, and he's, he does like a lot of things that are clearly him. Like he jumps out of a moving car. It's clearly him. That's a, a part where he's, um, he gets thrown out of a speedboat and then the guy turns his people around and tries to kill him by running him over. And he like ducks and dives on the water, like at the last second. And I'm like, that was him doing like that's a dangerous stunt that I yeah. just watched him do. That's another uh, thing that I think is is kind of fun about him as an actor is you you see him doing that a lot. Like yeah. he he was very physical. Like uh, you, I, I imagine he did a lot, if not yeah, most of his uh, his own stunts. And um, yeah, that's that's fun to see. That's yeah. what I was going to mention is is his physicality, not merely just like with with stunts or or action sequences or anything but even just he was just a very physicalized actor mm-hmm. um whether playing sort of this, uh, this character with like a lot of bravado in in breathless where just you just look at the way he walks you look at the way he gestures with his hands uh you it, maybe it's one of the reasons why he was such a good smoker is he just really seemed to be connected like with his hand lips cigarette like uh and that's something that just even in the handful of uh, movies that i watch is like this is a guy who really understands how to express himself with his body. And it will come into play uh, later uh, when, yes, I will be talking about the 1995 Les Mis where his character, it's not a silent performance at all, but some of the best moments in it are purely physical uh, with no dialogue at all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was definitely something that, that struck me that I do think separates him from some of like the, the Hollywood cool tough guys that he would be compared to because I think of them as being not, not unphysical, but at the same time, they're, they're very contained and he feels a little, a little bit more loose, a little bit more expressive. Um, okay. Should we move on to 1965 and then the other Godard we've been hinting, hinting at, I think <laughs> let's do it. Uh, Piro Le Fou, the one that I hinted earlier might be my new favorite. John Godard. <laughs> that was, yeah. Um, this is the, I saw this one. This is a, I guess it's it's a, a Godard version of like a lovers on the run type of mm-hmm. uh, like movie, you know, lovers who are also killers and criminals or whatever. But they don't, it just, and also a little bit of uh, every man noir in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he starts off as like a guy who has a he lives in like a high rise or whatever. Yeah, and he's, he's bored with his life. Very and, bored. Yeah. Uh, he goes to a party where everyone essentially speaks in uh, advertising slogans, which is one of my favorite yeah. parts of the movie. Um, <laughs> and I, I told this story off mic. Uh, I was watching it. I, I was uh, hanging out at a, at a diner and I was watching it on my laptop and like the party scene comes up and then randomly for no reason at all there's a topless one I'm like well fuck I well, guess I can't watch this yeah. in well, public no, randomly for no reason all, all the women at the party are suddenly topless yeah. like they're still standing alone, leaning yeah. against the wall having the same conversations yeah in the previous shot they had tops on and now they don't yeah I in that moment I didn't wait for uh, the rest uh, I just shut my laptop immediately but that, I think it has that I, I, I think um 
maybe part of the reason that I responded to it so well is it, it's Godard at the, at the period that I really like him. It's that like it, it, the movie is kind of like a bridge for me between like um, is it called uh, Un Femme Marie, a married woman, and mm-hmm. then like uh, two or three things about her, like th- that. Um, uh, he's really getting more and more into like movies that are that feel like they're inventing themselves as they go along. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think Belmondo is a, because he's so game as an actor is, is perfect for that, that, that sort of thing. He's, um, because he's like, you said before, he's not a self-conscious actor. I, he doesn't feel a need to like explain this for the audience. Just right. like things are different now than they were in the last scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then also they're not, there is a, like an emotional through line with his relationship to Anna Karina's character. We didn't mention it was Anna Karina, yeah. Karina but, um, yeah, that, um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of Godard from that period has this feeling to me where, and maybe it goes along with what you're saying that it's, it's constantly changing or he's building the airplane as they, as they fly it. Yeah. But like, it feels like scene to scene, it's a different movie. So mm-hmm. like there's this scene feels like one and it feels like one part and then it kind of changes to something else for a little while. And I think I remember, and it's been a little while since I've seen the film, but I remember my feeling about it being, there were parts that I was like, Oh, I really like this, but then it would shift into something else sometimes where I'd be like, now I'm not totally sure what's happening or now I don't really like this. So I remember my, my overall feeling about it being like, I liked it, but there were points that I really liked and other points that I could go without. Yeah. Thankfully the, the parts you don't like it's like just give it a minute yeah <laughs> it'll be a uh, we'll be right yeah. back yeah. Uh, it's still it's all oh, sorry to it's, there's, it's also I feel like there's a lot going on in there um, with with French 60s politics and mm-hmm. there's only so much that we as Americans yeah. in 2020 are able to to, uh, to grasp I think it wasn't as deep into that as Weekend was for me Weekend it seems interminable to me like I, I watch it and I'm like I, I have no idea what they're talking about That's for so funny. much I of think that was my previous favorite <laughs> <laughs> I, the two seem very similar to me. So if I had to guess what yours was before that, <laughs> if it wasn't just an obvious choice like Breathless, which might be mine, I, I might have said that. So, um, huh. Do I have a favorite Godard, considering I don't really connect with any of them? I appreciated this one quite a bit. I thought visually he was doing some great stuff, but not I, just with color, but yes. also with like these little vignettes. Like, yeah. like anytime they come across like a corpse <laughs> or, yeah. Or, yeah. or like the car accident or whatever, like yeah. everything is just so precise laid out yeah. that it is as though th- these dead people are are doing like l- like uh, living theater or whatever it is yeah that's what I, yeah. like uh, well remember when they're at the gas station and they, he keeps having to knock out different guys like, <laughs> yes. like so I did like, like that oh there's another one and he has to go like knock, yeah. <laughs> knock him out and, and like, like she hits him very lightly and he just like goes yeah, flying yeah. yeah but then like the one guy's laying and then she has to pull the car around and I was like you're gonna run over that, that yeah. guy but um but yeah, uh, what else is, you said it's hard to connect to, but I, I, I do think that Belmondo and Anna Karina have chemistry. Sure. And I think the scene that is essentially this movie's version of them falling for each other was really beautiful to me when he's driving home for the party and they're like talking about what they're like. She's like, I'm putting my hand on your knee. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm, me too. They're not actually doing that. They're just sitting in the car looking yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. And that sort of like... Uh, it goes from being like a flirtation to them like getting on this same wavelength in a deep way really quickly. Yeah. And I, I loved that scene. It is, I think I've seen, f- I believe I've seen four Godard films all from this era. Um, this is the funniest one. 
like I, I don't remember if if Belmondo's character basically says like watch this and then just goes off road right into the water right into a lake or, or, or whatever oh uh, that's because she challenges him she's yeah. like oh this is so great to be like so spontaneous and she's like yeah. you're not as spontaneous as you think you're still like driving straight yeah. and he's like yeah and it's this. just <laughs> just into the it's ocean. just so matter of fact I love it uh, and honestly the very last the very last moment where he has decided he's going to is this a spoiler thing no, that's fine. okay it's where first off just the extended one just single take of him wrapping his head in dynamite yeah. and then doing another layer and then going to light it and he just goes this is silly and then just blows up uh, I thought that was hilarious and kind yeah. of and a little sad but mostly hilarious here's something I thought while watching these movies this has nothing to do with Bamondo but just like I talked about it on the po- on the podcast with uh, Many Saints of Newark. I didn't talk about it in Nightmare Alley, but movies these days <laughs> sound like an old man. Use, <laughs> movies these days. They use CGI fire. I understand that it's like mm-hmm. safer and stuff like yeah. that, but seeing actual explosions, which you see in uh, there, there are multiple fires and explosions mm-hmm. in uh in Piro the food there's also I didn't tell you in the man from Rio I don't know if you remember um, the guy on the speedboat that is chasing him eventually uh, Bamondo's character like basically tricks him into driving the speedboat into a bunch of rocks and it's a shot where you're like behind the rocks and the speedboat like disappears behind the rocks there's a huge explosion and then the guy's body like clearly like on a trampoline like flies out into the water um, but I uh I miss, yeah, I want an era where even art house films had big explosions in them. Now everything is uh, CGI. CGI fire is uh, a bummer to me. This this goes back, incidentally, um, what I'm about to say goes back to something that, that David, you, I remember you mentioned it with the movie uh, American Hustle, and specifically Bradley Cooper, that that film helped you to realize how like what actors can do like how their performances and what they're doing can help not sometimes ground a film but also sometimes elevate a film so that you're like oh i get what i'm supposed how i'm supposed to be taking all of this and the fact that belmondo is taking all of these shifts in the film in stride like there are moments when he is surprised by what's going on, but it's not an extroverted surprise for the most part. He's just kind of going along and just accepting things. Um, and that's, that does sort of help you to accept them as well. Um, he could, it, it, as written, you can play this character as, per, as perpetually incredulous, but he doesn't, he just accepts things. And then going back to the ending, where he just decides like, all right, face is going to be blue. That's just how this is going to be. And he's just walking along, just painting his face blue as though it's the most natural thing in the world. It goes back to this idea of being totally unselfconscious, just a willingness to just do whatever the director wants to do. It's like, no, I can make that work. Um, and it's a, you know, the more I talk about this, (laughs) the more I'm liking the movie. I, I liked it quite a bit, but I appreciated it more than I liked it. But, it's one of those things that like certainly if I'd seen it maybe not 10 years if I'd seen it 15 years ago I would have fucking hated it (laughs) but now it's just it's a little bit refreshing in its own way um I've I've just had him turning 
plugging the Patreon into a bit for this episode. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> in an upcoming Patreon episode that hasn't aired yet, uh, a mailbag episode, a listener will accuse you of finessing your opinions on the podcast for my benefit. I think what we're seeing is, I just, I just, uh, I'm very persuasive. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that must I, be it. I talked you into being a little more fair to Kira LeFou. <laughs> is, you're, you're not, and unless you're going to now go on to like do uh, uh, more than one lesson with Josh where you're like, all right, let's toss out what that fucking idiot Dave was saying. Let's really, uh, those were my favorite episodes. First off, we talked about how much we hated David. That was pretty good. I need to have you back on Josh because you, your hate for David (laughs) is, inspiring it's honestly me a lot yeah um the companion also, film was 10 things i hated <laughs> <laughs> but the uh and f- i talked myself into liking the movie more <laughs> all right you notice it was after a pretty long monologue on my part uh so yeah well i think i i'll take some credit it's not like you've never changed my mind on a movie. i know i know um, um i hate to mess up the timeline thing but looking at it now i realize we didn't talk about magnet of doom which is one of the ones that i watched you sound oh, okay. um, yeah, so sorry back for, to 1963 for some yeah, reason i chance. thought that was 65 or 6 but uh, anyway another 63 uh, yeah that's another metal well that's one of the reasons i didn't watch uh, led to lewis because i i was uh, i watched that one which um I enjoyed. Uh, it's another crime. Uh, either either you see that one? Mm-hmm. No. Um, it's it's another crime film. He's a, a Belmondo plays a boxer, kind of a, a disgraced boxer who doesn't know how he's going to make money now because he just lost a big match. So <laughs> there's this banker who has gotten into some kind of big trouble. <laughs> it's like it came out that he somehow like killed a couple guys in Africa in like the fifties for some, some reason. And suddenly it's come to light and you know, it, the, the axes are coming down. So he's going to flee the country. This banker is, and he needs someone to come along with him to kind of help him. And he wants somebody who's a little bit scrappy and dangerous maybe. And so he puts an ad out. Belmondo answers the ad and like clearly lies in his interview about like who he and what he does but the banker kind of can tell that and likes it so they form this sort of weird friendship where they flee to the United States and uh, road trip from New New York to Louisiana to, to um, uh, New Orleans I think it's New Orleans it's Louisiana anyway. um, and so it's it's interesting because it puts him in a different context like the um, you know America, you don't see him in that context that much, and it does put him in situations where like people are speaking English to him, and he's like, "I don't really speak English." Mm-hmm. He's clearly he's not even trying to, and this character wouldn't. He's a he's kind of a dumb thug, um, and uh, what a lot of the movie hinges around is him knowing that this banker has a bunch of money in the U.S. and is like kind of going to different places to pick it up, sometimes in cash, sometimes getting it out of banks, and trying to decide whether he wants to help this guy or help the uh, the FBI who are trying to come in to extradite him or to just like double cross everybody and take the money and um, what it uh, kind of comes to in the end is he 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 gets real sick of the guy. They end up in a, a little house in, in uh, the, the you know, bayou of Louisiana and he goes to this local bar and is complaining about the old guy all the time. The old guy has like a codependency thing where he's, he's saying that he's sick in order to get, um, Belmondo's character to come back and kind of take care of him because he doesn't know anyone else there. And, and he may be sick. It's kind of hard to tell whether he's making it up or not, but there's definitely a, a codependency going on. Um, but then 
at the end, there's some other people who find out about the money and decide they're going to try to come in and, and kill this guy and steal from him. And Belmondo ultimately defends the guy um, in a tragic way. I'll just say that. All right. Um, I think I need to see this because um, I like... Melville in America. I've seen Two Men in Manhattan. I don't know if you've ever seen, I haven't seen that, that one. one where like um, all of the exteriors were shot at night in Manhattan. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Um, uh, and I, I really enjoy that. So I'd like to see his his New Orleans. I've seen I've seen Melville's Manhattan. Yeah. I'd like to see his New Orleans. Yeah. So um, and there was that editorial column Melville in America <laughs> that he wrote. And sure. uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, go on. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I I like the film. I would recommend it. It's good, Melville. It's, it looks um, like it's, it's on the Criterion Channel. It is, yeah, which is yeah. where I watched it. it. It's it's your traditional early '60s crime Belmondo. It's kind of that. It, it fits into a lot of those other ones, but uh, like I said, the setting's a little bit different. It's in color too. So, oh, uh, well, you know, it's not in color, but it is on the Criterion Channel. It's not in color. Is uh, no, oh I said God. you know what's not in color. Oh, <laughs> um, I, was like, I feel like you I know just it's watched not in though. color. You've misremembered. <laughs> Rene Clemence is Paris burning which is a three-hour movie about the final days of the Parisian occupation. Have you seen it? No, I had a choice to make. Which long one am I going to watch? <laughs> That's and the I, I chose, thought you were going to say. I chose it. the later one. He, I know he's not in it a ton, which is why I figured I will get to this one at some point, but Almost, I haven't seen it yet. The nature of the movie is that other than Gert Froba, who plays the German officer in, who's in charge of the Parisian occupation at the end, there's not really anyone who's in the movie the whole time. Mm. Like mm. it's, it's very episodic. So yeah, um, Belando plays a, a real life character, Yvonne, <clears throat> Yvonne Morin, that who I looked up, uh, afterwards he was, um, pre-war. He was a union leader. He became a part of the resistance to when, when the, um, uh, when, when Paris was, was occupied by the Germans and then he was, a member of the provisional government, the sort of transitional government before the government in exile came all the way back mm. um, in like 46 or whatever. So um, here, this is at the end. So at this point he's like, he's, he's a respectable member of the um, resistance sort of administration. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a small role. Um, uh, and I guess it's, he's, Reserved, so I guess it's against type in that way. But he also is very like powerful too. So there's uh, you can see him. There's there's one. T- uh, I don't know if I would have highlighted this. If we hadn't talked about his physicality. There's a part where he's trying to get to the governor's mansion um, uh, to to set up a meeting of the provisional government, and he's on his bike, and and there's another woman with him. And in order to have to cross this broad street and there's like German snipers. So Pomondo and this woman like lay down on the ground and are crawling and dragging their bikes with them at the same mm. time across this street. Uh, it's a very cool, very cool mm. shot. But um, this is a great movie, by the way, is Paris burning. Like I'd it's like to see it. Uh, it of these kinds of movies, which I consider like um, the longest day and Torah, 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 like movies about World War Two, where everyone plays their own nationality. Mm hmm. Um, Bridge this is, Too Far might be in uh, there, too. Oh, which I've never seen that one. Oh. Uh, but this is clearly by far the best that I've seen. And it has so many people in it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like so many f- like French actors and, and German actors and then American actors uh, near the end. Uh, Kirk Douglas plays Patton. Um, Anthony Perkins has a, a, a couple of a couple of scenes there. Um, um, who's the other general? Bradley Glenn Ford. Oh, all right. I only really know is Paul Kent, but I know he was, he's in a lot of things, but I think his Paul Kent from Richard Downer's Superman is, is Bradley. Uh, yeah. Gert Froba, like I said, um, 
Simone Signore, man, uh, oh, man. Elaine Delon. Uh, there's uh, there's big ones that I'm leaving out um, as well. It's a really good uh, movie, but also kind of to go back to two women, kind of again reinforces that idea that the the most dangerous, crazy part of the war was the like the last days when it was yeah. over. Like there's a, a repeated thing of this movie being. It's almost like it's horrid to horrible to consider the fact that people were still being killed yeah. when this was all over, you know, like we like the movie starts with the German, like the, a, a German soldier, like saying, we know we've lost or whatever. And then three hours later, people are still being gunned down. Mm. And it's like, it's a depressing movie, but also a very uplifting one of all the Mo- Belmondo movies that I watched for this. It was the only one that, brought a tear to my eye hmm. not really for him his, his part is very dry yeah. but, uh, really good movie I'm talking too much about it for a movie he's barely in um, but speaking of movies he's barely in <laughs> I, I think I know where you're going next 1967's Casino Royale um, <laughs> yeah. which I watched for this and I spent the movie going like did I miss it like because he literally <laughs> shows up like seven minutes before the end of the movie I, and he's great I saw it years and years ago so I went and found on YouTube the clips that he's in yeah. which you can watch in I think maybe less than a minute. Yeah, it is. But it's like, uh, if you don't know, Casino Royale was a James Bond spoof. No. Um, David Niven plays, but like the Sean Connery bond exists in this world, but we don't meet him. Like the premise of this movie is that like James Bond 007 is like a title. Like there's a real one that played by David, David Niven. And then they just pass the name and title down. <laughs> and so he gets David Niven, the original James Bond in this movie's thing gets like brought out of retirement for this, crazy madcap it's it's a fun movie that has a lot of like a lot a lot of cameos some of them were great john houston doing a thick scottish accent is awesome <laughs> um and deborah carr also doing a thick scottish accent um they play agents pretending to be husband and wife um uh there's a lot of fun stuff um it's it's like two hours and 50 minutes long. It's longer than it needs to be for what a like, it's uh, long. well, there's like, of, are there five directors on it? There's yeah. something ridiculous like yeah, that. It's, yeah. It's, um, but, uh, it's a lot of fun when it's fun. It just, there's too much of it, but, uh, <laughs> the big climactic, like, um, brawl, like action set piece that it's kind of bla- like pre blazing saddles ish where like it's at the casino. And then like, they say like, Oh good. Here come the Americans. And the Americans are literally cowboys on horseback. <laughs> and then like native Americans like repel out of the, like, so it's there's, like cowboys and Indians fighting. And then John Pelbamanda represents like the French. He's like the French are here and he's dressed as like a legionnaire and he yeah. just starts like fighting people. But his thing is like, every time he punches someone, he's like, ah, like he's he keeps yeah. hurting his hand. He's I think it doesn't, uh, he comes in and says the French are here, but he has such a strong accent that David Niven's like, ah, ah, and he hands him a card and that's it. The French are here. And he's like, oh, the French are here. And but Mom is like, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's and he, like, he hits his hand and he's like, Merda. And, and David Niven's like, what? And he's like, uh, ouch. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a very fun. There's a lot of very funny parts in the movie. Also some very silly parts that stuff that I laughed way? at. Oh, 
I don't know if you'd like, there's some, but there's, okay, there's a character who gets blown up and the only thing that's left of him is his toupee. And David Niven presents the toupee to the widow and says, I don't know if you would consider this remains or just a bit of apparel. And she says, I shall consider it a heirloom. Uh, uh, Isn't that course you laughed harder at that than anything you have in the last year. Yeah, that's my kind of joke. Isn't that the film where Woody Allen is in front of a firing squad and he jumps over the wall to escape the firing squad, but lands in front of another firing squad on the other side of the wall? Yeah, Woody Allen is one of the writers of this and ends up playing a uh, a, a larger part as the movie goes on but uh, yeah his first scene where he's being dragged in front of a firing squad That's pretty and he's good. like doing the Woody Allen thing of like my doctor says no bullets are allowed to enter my body at any time <laughs> and then he like he's like what if I said I was pregnant <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so there's yeah some good stuff in, in that but uh, alright so that's it alright am, am I still talking 1969 Francois Truffaut Mississippi Mermaid. I wanted to see this one. I, where where did you find it? Is it for rent somewhere? It, it's for rent in SD on Amazon. It was like it looked it looked good, but it was weirdly like on my screen, like postage stamp, where there was like a box all the oh, way yeah. around it. Oh know? yeah, yeah. There was something but, weird about it. The version that I saw to me, but I wanted to see it, but I didn't see it. But I, yeah, I would say um, it was worth it to me to watch it in that in that weird way. It's a it's a really good movie. Um, and again, I guess kind of against type because he's like a lonely man hmm. um, who is a very rich man who lives in the the real uh, French island of Reunion, which is off the coast of Africa. Um, and he like his family owns a factory. He's like a rich man, uh, and, but he's lonely. So he like finds a wife through correspondence, and it's Catherine Deneuve. Um, and uh, oh yeah, we didn't talk about it. his his co star in the, that Man from Rio is um, Francoise, whatever Catherine Deneuve's real life sister, who mm. played they played sisters in Young Girls of Rochefort. Oh, okay, something with a D. I can't remember her last name. Um, that's in they. To get back to Mrs. or I work my way back to Mrs. Mermaid. Jeff Palmondo, among other things, got to work with all of the most beautiful actresses of the sixties, like Gene Seberg, <laughs> Sophia Anna Loren, Sophia Loren, uh, Francoise, I forget her name, Catherine Deneuve. Um, it's just yeah, I, I spent the last week watching him like make out with beautiful, <laughs> beautiful women. Um, but uh, yeah, so Catherine Deneuve is the male order bride, except we turn out turn out she's not. If you've seen if you've seen the early two thousands Nicole Kidman movie Birthday Girl, you might might understand the plot i have not oh which turns out she's a con woman um, Ooh. uh but uh that's not a huge spoiler because that actually happens very early on and then the the interesting thing is that he when she leaves all his money he tracks her down finds her in france and then falls back in love with her and they like uh it turns into another like lovers on the run type of type of movie uh it's really really great um really good performance again like you find yourself getting frustrated with his character um uh but uh but but liking him at the same time um and also Catherine Deneuve at uh sure. I would say at the height of her powers but like she never lost it like yeah she's, she's been at the height of her powers her entire <laughs> yeah. uh career uh anyway that's um yeah, I would definitely recommend Mississippi Mermaid. Uh, there's no Mississippi is the name of the boat that Captain Deneuve character comes. Oh, interesting. There is nothing to do with Mississippi or okay. to do with all the characters are are French or or uh, from French territories like Reunion and Captain Deneuve's characters from Caledonia. 
okay. which I don't know much about, but mm. I think that's a French territory. Someone could correct me um, if they care, which I don't. There's another one from 69, which I, uh, I, again, one that I'm super bummed I wasn't able to find somehow called The Brain. Did you, either of you read about this one? Mm-mm. No. So David Niven and Eli Wallach play like nice. the guys who who did the original great train robbery and they're going to do another big robbery but these two french dummies played by belmondo and who's the other one is it borville borville yeah um are also trying to do the same heist at the same time and i guess they get uh, you know get all uh, mixed up and cross and everything i saw the trailer and it looks very silly and very funny and i think it's something that i would enjoy but again can't can't find it anywhere right now mm. but you did watch 1970s borsellino I didn't. That was it's on. It was. I was going to watch it last night, and oh, I wasn't able to. Um, but it's, it's on. It's on Canopy. It looks. Uh, apparently, it was one, rated by Empire as one of the best uh, best uh, gangster movies of all time. So mm, I really okay. want to see it. It's got Alain Delon in it, and how can you not love Alain Delon? Um, I did see the movie that he saw the next year, or did you see Borsalino? Did you want to talk about that? No, I didn't. No one seen that one. Yet? Okay. Um, the next movie that shows up on, on IMDb here, it's called Swashbuckler. When I watched it on Amazon, it was called The Scoundrel. And when you start the actual movie, it's called something like The Married Couple at Year Two or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so the the, friend, the the poster on IMDb is La Marius de Landu. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this was a, a, a comedy that I found a lot of fun actually the the setup is that uh, Belmondo has left France right before the French Revolution they don't tell you why initially he goes to America makes uh, starts working for this wealthy uh, like a wheat farmer some kind of like landowner and is going to marry his daughter and on the day of the wedding a guy stands up and says like he's already married and the the church erupts into like a chaotic fight and everybody's fighting each other so uh, (laughs) Belmondo just swinging for the fences and uh, so he then decides he's going to go back to France um, because they just after the the um uh, you know, post-revolution, they now have uh, made divorce legal. So he's going to go back to France, find his wife so he can divorce her. So uh, the whole thing ends up being him trying to navigate the world of very, uh, very uh, recent post-French Revolution, where there's like the the uh, all of these these infighting between different people and the government doesn't really have it together and the people are mad and hungry and everything like that so everybody sees him as a problem for some reason when he first first is first is getting just getting on wheat and they try and shoot him down because they're like we're at war with english you can't come into the port and he's like but i have a boat full of wheat and they're like wheat they're all excited so he comes in (laughs) and then all the people see him and they're like get him out of here he's an american he's an outsider and he's like i've got the wheat and they're like hooray and then they take him to the governor who's like the wheat's poisoned put him in jail (laughs) this whole big thing he escapes from jail then they want to hang him because he tries to escape from jail then he gets mixed up with some royalists who are trying to assassinate the governor then he (laughs) it it goes on and on like this for a long time but he eventually finds his wife who has escaped and is with the royalists because she was always kind of like a they they talk about there being this history where she was always interested in like lords or or barons or or the the you know the the gentry and wanted to become that even though she wasn't really she was the, the daughter of a wine merchant um so she's found this baron and a group of loyalists that she wants to get married to but then there's also a prince who wants who wants her also 
and then he comes back into her life and there's still a little bit of a flame for her but he also is meeting her for the purpose of getting a divorce which she doesn't know at first so there's a lot it's it's very much a, a farce with lots of silly things happening all the time but uh i feel like it was it was clever in the way it pokes fun of a lot of the the different factions uh, at the uh, right after the revolution and how none of them really knew what they wanted and um everybody nobody was doing anything right and here's this guy just trying to find his wife so he can so he can divorce her, her. is um you know, like I think of Belmondo as somebody who could be funny, but that sounds m- madcap. Oh yeah, it's and very silly. silly. And he 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 does great with it. Like, and in a way, he's kind of playing a straight man. Like, hmm. there's all this craziness around him, and he's like, man, I'm just trying to find my wife, <laughs> so I can divorce her. So I can divorce her. Um, uh, so he's playing into the silliness, especially again with that physicality where he's just fighting people when people are attacking him and he doesn't even know why sometimes <laughs> like a group of the Royalists, he, this, some guy helps him escape and uh, from the, the prison of the governor and then this guy tells him his whole life story and then immediately they run into a group of royalists and the guy gets shot and just collapses. He's like, oh, I guess you don't need to know that. Like, that guy's there anymore. <laughs> and then Belmondo's like, what's happening? So they just take him and the, the, the leader of the group is like, let him live. Put this, uh, put this lantern around his neck. And he's like, what are we doing? And then they just send him off. And once he gets far enough away, they just start shooting at him again. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? So it's a lot of him being stuck in these issues. But again, it's, it's that go with the flow thing in uh, Pirelli Fu that he's, he doesn't know what's happening, but he just needs to get somewhere and he's just going to keep going yeah. until it gets there. I want to see more of the, like the man from Rio and in this type of like yeah. adventures, uh, funny adventures, but my next and last film was from 1974. Is that where we're going next? Uh, I ha- I have not seen that one. I've got one after that. Okay. So I'll, uh, talk, I, I guess kind of briefly about, uh, Elan Rene's Stavisky. Um, I watched this, uh, because I, it's a Rene film that I haven't seen, and I like him. It's uh, definitely not, I don't think, top-tier Elan Rene, but um, yeah, I didn't know going in. I had to like look it up, because uh, as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, this, this feels like it's based on a true story. Uh, and so the Stavisky affair um, was a sort of like... Um, Pre, like immediately pre World War II um, political scandal, uh, where there was this swindler played by John Pelomano. <laughs> like he's definitely playing uh, uh, into his 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 strengths here. Um, who was like embezzling and I don't know doing Ponzi scheme type of type of things. Um, and he was also uh, in ways that he's not really a political person at all, but because it helped his fortunes to be, he was aligned with like the radical left. And so when the scandal involving the like left-wing figures broke out, it led to like protests and riots. Uh, anyway, so it was a big, apparently it was a big political thing in, um, in the late thirties in, in Paris that I uh, didn't really know about, uh, or in France, sorry. Um, sometimes I say Paris when I mean France. It's not the first time I've done that. Same thing. Uh, but I've been to, <laughs> both <laughs> i mean obviously they're in the same place <laughs> but i've been to paris and i've left paris and been to um nearby france i know it's yeah, you place. left paris to go to france got it right <laughs> um uh well, yeah i mean I'm, I'm from st louis a place where people do like leave st louis to go to missouri yes that's, like, yes. that's the attitude <laughs> that's the attitude st louisans tend to have toward the rest of missouri unfairly um but uh anyway so yeah you've got him like 
uh, it's not a super physical role, but it's a very fast mouth motor model. You know, this guy's a talker. He gets people to give him his money. He gets people to, he reminded me of, um, did any of you see the nest with Jude Law? Like, <laughs> no, oh, I yes. didn't. Yeah. Do you remember there's a part when, um, near the end of the nest when he's drunken in a cab and the taxi driver asks him, what do you do for a living? And he says, I pretend to be rich. <laughs> That's kind of who this Stavisky guy is <laughs> that he's, he's just like, he's, he's just keeping his head, head above water by keeping up the appearances of being a rich guy of, you know, losing $25,000 at a background table and like just walking away, uh, because he looks like he can do that, even <laughs> though all the money is like on credit and, uh, and, and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's a more accessible if you know Alain Rene from like Hiroshima Montemor and last year Marion Bad. This is more of a story story, but it still has some of that Rene stuff because it has this um, kind of Citizen Kane type structure where the 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 framing device is the people that around Stavisky being deposed about what happened, and so you get Citizen Kane style you get like one person at a time like oh i knew him here and then we flash back and get this part of the story and so that um that dealing with like memory is very much renee and the way the movie kind of the 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 edits between time periods you know jumping back and forth are not like telegraphed very obvious the like a lot of alan renee's movies seem to sort of like like well, something Jatem Jatem specifically like is unloose, unmoored in time, and that's how this kind of feels like. You're, you're not like mm-hmm. it's not like chapters. Like okay, you know it's this and this. It just feels like you're kind of gliding back and forth through time. So that's cool. You still got to learn to do that in Jatem Jatem. That's like yeah. that's maybe one of my favorite time travel movies. It's <laughs> such a great movie. Yeah, um, Stavisky's fine, but that's a weird place to end on a movie that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but we're not I mean, ending. I mean, end, ending my yeah, yeah. my uh, input out with a whimper. That's yeah. No, it's a good movie. It's just not. It's not that man from Rio. <laughs> so the the next one that I have is uh, 1981's The Professional, um, which it seems from what I can tell that he he sort of moved like his type of action movies moved from kind of a like big that man from Rio type thing to almost like a dirty Harry or, you know, Charles mm. Bronson type of movies. Okay. He did a lot of these where he's like a tough cop who's just <laughs> mean. Um, so the professional, the, the setup is that he's sent by the French government to kill or to assassinate the leader, uh, the corrupt leader of some fictional African country. He's caught and is in prison for a long time, eventually escapes prison, goes back to France, and when that uh, leader is coming to France for some sort of diplomatic thing, he decides he's going to go kill him now. But he knows that the French government doesn't want him killed now, and it comes out that they never really wanted him killed, that they, they gave Belando's character away. That's why he went to prison, but so... Uh, now he's coming back to France knowing that he's going to get, or he's planning to get back at both of them by assassinating this, this leader. So uh, it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting plot setup. Like it feels like there's, there's a lot of places it could go. It, it feels like it makes a lot of the mistakes of kind of an obvious uh, thriller. Um, like a like a cop thriller from the eighties. I, I was thinking I was saying this to somebody that I see this in. I don't know if it's specifically French films or some European like um, action thriller things that 
are kind of copies of that's the wrong way to put it but probably influenced heavily by those kind of crime and action movies from the u.s um, of the time it feels like they put a lot of the pieces together but then the things that get you from point a to point b are sometimes very unbelievable like so a lot of the beats that he gets to are good scenes but but the things that have to happen for yep. them to get there are, are sometimes like ludicrous uh the the guy who's trying the, there's a guy who's on his tail the whole time is it uh, you know the spy that maybe replaced him in the in the you know the the from the government side and <laughs> this guy's always like in the same building as him like but like doesn't realize it somehow and he's supposed to be like the new hot guy who who can do everything and uh, it's it's like Belmondo's character can he figures everything out and this guy can never figure anything out like <laughs> it seems like this guy would have at least a little more um so there's things like that that make it kind of silly then I think I mentioned this to you a little bit Tyler there are some <laughs> moments when they're like we got to get some sex in here where it's it's ridiculous the funniest one and all, all to the point of of making me a little bit uncomfortable was uh so we find out that his wife still exists. Or still, still exists. <laughs> it's still alive. Um, and uh, I guess that means the same thing. And yet somehow, it's an odd way to put yeah. it. Um, she. So the first night he's there, he comes. He comes in to see her, which again. He's like able to get around the people who are watching her house by pretending that he's a bum for five minutes, and it's <laughs> not super believable. But he, so he gets in there, spends the night with her. Um, but then, like, he knows that they're going to be coming in the next morning, so he like sneaks out, but he doesn't actually leave. He just goes up to like the loft of the apartment and then just watches as all these people come in to interrogate her. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what his plan is here. And for the movie, his plan is to confront the guy who's, who's after him to like get him, but it doesn't really make sense for the plot of the movie. But, uh, where I'm going with this is the, 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 the new guy on the block comes in with some female investigator who immediately goes to the wife and starts like hitting on her like that's going to be her way of trying to get information out of her and when the wife doesn't respond this other woman kind of gets like violent with her and like handsy and pulls her clothes off like <laughs> she's wearing like a robe or something this woman's just like ha ha and like pulls the robe and pushes her and she runs across the room to the other guy doesn't cover herself just stands fully naked in front of this this uh, other inspector and is like don't let her do anything to me or something. And, and uh, the moment is, is very cringy. Mm. <laughs> that's, that, that's the worst one, but there are a couple other things like that. We're like, all right, France in 1981, I guess this was <laughs> what we were doing. Is, um, okay. So wait a minute. It gets weirder from there, but I don't have to go. Yeah. So is it, Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm I'm confused by what this film is meant to be. Is it meant to cuz it sounds silly. No, I mean not purposely silly. It sounds ridiculous from a plotting standpoint and just like over the top. I guess if it is, you know, being kind of that 80s or late 70s action cop thing, it's going to be that. But what kind of to to bring it to Belmondo like what kind of performance is he giving? Is it a like weathered kind of beaten down kind of, uh, uh, whatever the character's name from death wish is, uh, Paul mm. Kersey. 
I don't know why I know that. Uh, Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, or is Bruce it, Willis. Or, yes. Let's not forget. That That's right. I did forget until you name. reminded me. Uh, 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 oh. Eli Roth. Eli Roth. That's Remade. right. Death Wish. Death Wish with, with Bruce Willis. I yeah, that, it. it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, <laughs> um, the original's not great either. But at least uh, Charles Bronson is like a more relatable guy than phoning it in Bruce Willis. Um, but uh, but yeah, so like he's not doing like his charming thing, right? Or for or the most he? part, no. There's a couple interactions he has with some of the female characters where oh, of course. that again seem a little bit out of nowhere. There's uh, there's a woman who's the uh, mistress of the guy he's trying to assassinate who he has like a moment with. And of course she's making eyes at him. Like she's interested in him. All, all the women in the movie are, are obsessed with him. Of course. Um, so yeah, it's, it, and he is playing more kind of that weathered type where he's like, okay, dirty hair. He's not a bad comparison. Okay. Um, again, he's a different actor and a different person. So his, his there, the charm part still plays into it a little bit, but yeah. for the most of the movie, he's playing, uh, you know, he's he's been in prison in Africa for four years or five years or however long it is. Right. And now he's back to get revenge and he's going to he's going to get it. This movie does. doesn't sound good. I, I don't think it's that good. OK. It's it's more in it feels like that type of movie. Yeah. And <laughs> the most frustrating parts are the are it are the parts sorry the most frustrating parts of it are the part where it thinks that it's smarter than a cobra or something like sure. that and like the, the ending has a has a part where he accidentally tricks one of the french you know spy guys into shooting the the president that he's was essentially oh. assassinated but the way that it happens is unbelievable and then and then he he's also somehow arranged for a helicopter to be there on the grounds of the place uh, where they're hiding the 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 african president and so after that happens he just walks out to the helicopter and you're like they're they're obviously going to kill him and there's a back and forth where the the somebody is trying to get authorization from I don't know if it's like the head of the the spy department or if it's the president <laughs> or who it is. Yeah. He's like trying to get authorization to, to shoot him. And like, why would he get authorization? They would obviously just shoot him. He's killed a bunch of people in this thing. Like, <laughs> but that's when he says, "Look at all this wheat I have," and <laughs> oh, everyone lets him in. Oh, I wish. But again, it's something where they're just playing it up for uh, yeah. for drama. And he gets to the door of the helicopter and turns around and then gets shot. And oh. So he doesn't make it. Spoilers. Make it. Oh, boy. So that, see that? They're not thinking it. in terms of, <laughs> of franchise. Right. The professional franchise. And yet the next year he made a movie called Ace of Aces, which from what I've read is not too different. Okay. So he kind of had a, a Liam Neeson uh, aspect to his yeah. career as he yeah, got older. Absolutely. Like if you look at some of the posters for the, yeah. these ones that have come a little bit later, look like The post- Vulture. <laughs> Is that the I one was you were literally about to show yeah, the poster absolutely. for the Absolutely. If you're, do yourself a favor if you're at home and look that this one up. That is a delightful image. I miss the days of like those, those 80s like uh, posters that are hand drawn yeah. and everything is really played up. That, okay, yeah, that's, man, oh man, that's, that's called The Vultures? That one was that that the one I just showed you is for the loner, which is not as <laughs> as crazy over the top. But then, from what I can tell, it seems like after he did these things, he he drifted more into like 
the uh, older man drama sort of respectability. Yes. Yes. Which is what will bring us to, I believe the, the, is that your last one? Okay. Look, it's appropriate that the person that has seen the fewest uh, Belmondo <laughs> movies should be the one to have the last word. Um, yeah, so I did watch, uh, I want to make sure I get the pronunciation, uh, Claude Lelouch? Claude Lelouch. Claude yes. Lelouch. Um, uh, the 1995 film Les Miserables. Um, okay, it is not a straightforward adaptation of Les Miserables at all. Oh. At all. Yeah. Um, Belmondo does play Jean Valjean. And two other characters. And the I won't even go into the story because it's it's a long film and it covers a lot, as one would expect, uh, given the, the title of the film. But essentially, um, the first character that Belmondo plays is uh, this chauffeur in, like, turn-of-the-century France who uh, who's... Uh, is it a baron or a count that he's chauffeuring? I don't remember, but... Uh, the count kills himself and the chauffeur gets blamed. So he gets put in prison and his wife and son are like left alone. And, uh, he tries to break out of prison and there's this really, it's maybe it's an early moment in the film. I guess not that early. It's maybe like 30, 40 minutes. In. But, um, to me, it's the most impactful moment where it's like his second or third, uh, escape attempt. And he has climbed, he has to climb up a well and he's climbed a long way. And at the top, are like four guards who uh, he's been essentially sold out by another prisoner and they're waiting for him. And so he's like, they're like struggling to hold on and they're saying, and they just have their guns pointed at him and they're like, all right, just, you know, come with us. And he, and it's, it's all done non-verbally. You see him thinking like, uh, I don't want to go back to prison I want, and, but at the same time, I don't want to get shot because I do want to see my, my wife and son again someday, but I don't think I'm ever going to. And so you see all of that happen over the course of probably five or six seconds. And it's all on his face while he is like straining to hold on. And so there's that physicality again. And then you see this moment of, it's not a moment of like, it's not a moment of like bold, like fuck you kind of thing. It's just a moment of resignation where he realizes like, yeah, there's no, there's no good option here. And so he just lets go and falls to his death. And that moment is so that, that quiet, that silent moment is really impactful. I, it really worked for me. Uh, and then we cut, and then later on we see his son, uh, grown up played by Belmondo. And so he's, uh, he's, uneducated he hasn't he, like he he never even learned to read he has essentially like a moving company uh and he and in in uh 1930s france and so the nazis you know there's there's concern about nazis and and uh he's i don't i don't remember if he's if he knows that he is smuggling people out or not but either way one of the people that he's smuggling out um tells him the story of Les Miserables. And then we actually cut to scenes in which he plays Jean Valjean. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, three characters, but I will say, and this is not a slight against, him, I'm not saying that he has, he doesn't have any range. He essentially plays all care, all three characters the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, he probably puts a little bit, a little bit more of an edge on Valjean. Um, but there's just this, you know, and of course all, all he's an older guy at this point so all the characters are that older uh thing and you just get a real sense of world weariness but still a, a charm and 
towards the end of the film, uh, a sense of optimism, a sense of, of hope that comes through uh, in just the way he relates to other people, the way he relates to people that he cares about and loves. And it's a really... The movie in general is is great. I really really liked it. I like the structure of it. It is. It's Don't just tell under us how you saw it, or else the the cops will be coming for you. <laughs> that's. It's just under three hours. And what I'll say is like, yeah, I went, I went looking for it, and yeah, it's not available like on any on any uh, streaming service. But um, I did find it's still it's widescreen, but I found a good not great version on youtube oh, okay mm. somebody uploaded it se- somebody uploaded it september 2021 uh mm. my guess is they i don't know if they had like a letterboxd vhs or something yeah. like that mm. um it's not i mean you can still like make everything out you can it's not like just shapes yeah. uh <laughs> with more shapes at the bottom that you have to try to read <laughs> um like you can still make it out certainly enough to feel like you've seen the film uh but uh but yeah i was and i was very glad that that person uploaded it because um it's a film i'd been aware of for a long time because for whatever reason the video store where i used to work uh in nixon missouri mm-hmm. video update uh, that was the foreign section just that one movie <laughs> it, there was a foreign was section Joss boot yeah <laughs> and uh mephisto but um <laughs> See, and, and Mephisto was anyway, but like the foreign section, like in the, in the catalog, uh, you know, the non new release, like middle section, the foreign section was the one like on the front, uh, in the front. And it was just like staring at me when I was, uh, when I was right. behind the register and I saw Les Miserables, I saw that, uh, and I could picture the cover. And when I realized that like, Oh that guy, that old man, that smiling old man on the front, that was Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Belmondo. Oh, okay. I want to see that. And then, uh, sure enough, it's like, oh, this is longer than I thought. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to commit to it because I was also curious to see, like, I feel like Belmondo is a guy who's so associated with the sixties, so associated with being young, mm-hmm. with being like fit and physical and attractive and all of these things. Um, it's like, what would that, you know, not every actor is able to to play their age as they get older and but there's still a huge physical component to his character he plays a mover who is a former boxer he has to play this like escaped convict like so there is definitely a physical strength to his performance but i was curious to see like how what does it look like when he goes from being like the charmer to like the the grizzled cop to this this older you know respectable type of character so uh it's a really it's a i would say it's a great movie and i think people should check it out i'm i'm genuinely shocked that it has not gotten any kind of major home video release probably a, a rights thing in, sure, yeah. in these sort of situations um well that was uh that was the career of jean paul Bamondo as at least through the eyes of these three americans damn right <laughs> um but uh i'm really glad that i uh binged on these movies because i discovered mm-hmm. some like i said pearl lefou and liam ran priest are uh two new faves for me um but uh yeah let us know uh i don't know what what Belanda films we missed. Yeah. That's, that's always the, that's always my favorite part of posting a, a profile is how could you not have talked yeah. about playing, but I mean, I'm joking, yeah. uh, but it, it, it does like, I like talking about movies. I like learning about movies that movies yeah. I haven't seen. Yeah. And so, like I, I said too, there are so many that I wanted to see and yeah. wasn't able to for one reason or another. So there's, there's definitely a lot of other good ones out there. Yeah. Uh, but we've got, you've got three kids 
two of them twins. I have twins. I'm just lucky. I feel like we're just lucky we saw anything at all. <laughs> I, I really, part of me thought like, I'm not going to be able to say a fucking thing after breakfast, at breakfast, after breathless is done. Uh, breakfast was the, uh, you know, the, uh, Mel Brooks American parody of breathless. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I was either going to go that or a, a weird al homage to breathless. Um, uh, that all would right. be wonderful. That could still happen. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. You can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DaveyPretension. Also, make sure to check out my other podcast uh, that I do with my wife, Natalie. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. We Every, every week we watch a... Uh, um, uh, an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother and we sort of uh, keep pace um, this most recent episode of uh, How I Met Your Mother was uh, uh, it's called Ted Mosby Architect and it's if you're a, if you're a How I Met Your Mother fan it's uh, peak How I Met Your Mother because it has both non-linear structure and an unre- unreliable narrator device at the same time uh, which is uh, uh, catnip for me uh, if, if we're going into this we went into the podcast with me saying the argu- my argument was that I would love my, my thesis was that I would like How I Met Your Mother more this week uh, bore that out but there have also been weeks where I've liked friends more so find that at the one where I met your mother or find that at battleshipretention.com or subscribe to the one where I met your mother wherever you subscribe to podcasts Tyler you're on Twitter at Tyler Pretension I am what do you have to 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 plug uh, that's a weird word to forget but no. that's fine um, the uh, by the time this episode airs you can find my review of Joe Wright's Cyrano which currently is my favorite movie of 2021 not that I've Good seen movie. very many but uh, but yeah much to my surprise my, my favorite film um, but yeah you can find my written review of that at battleship com. Josh, where would you like people to track you down on the internet? <laughs> Please. Uh, I'm, I'm at the Josh Long on Twitter. I don't tweet that often, but when I do, it's, it's wonderful. So you should uh, do that. And then it's usually I'm, about wheat. Look at all this wheat. <laughs> yeah. A lot of wheat content on there, but uh, I'm also... Find me at look at all this wheat. <laughs> uh, I'm also on Letterboxd at the Josh Long. I'd follow everybody who follows me back just because it's interesting to see what people are, uh, are, are uh, watching and saying. And um, also, I have a film that I co-wrote called Man Camp, which is on Amazon Prime, I think. I think if you have Prime, you can see so, it for yes. free. Uh, or at least it was at one point. And uh, if you don't have Prime, uh, pony up, pay the money. It's worth it. But you also, <laughs> uh, you know, this is, I don't know the release situation, but uh, you I, also wrote a movie that was directed by Joel David Moore. Yes. Yeah. I have uh, uh, that movie shot in uh, this, I believe it was this August. Um, and uh, so that that's forthcoming. I don't know. I don't know anything about the release yet, so don't want to. And the title is what? Too much. The, the title is Some Other Woman. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to see that movie. I'm hoping next year. I'm hoping it's like a summer thing next year, and I'll be happy to come on and talk more about that when Absolutely. we get uh, close to that. But, uh, but yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 